What is up, Panthers Nation Network? Welcome back to another episode of, of course, the Panthers Nation Network. Well, guys, we're going to start talking about some of the different things going on in the NFL right now. And of course, as it relates to the Panthers organization, some of the big things. One of the first things I saw this week, of course, is Rob Gronkowski's re-retirement and his, you know, and of course, whenever they have the retirement, the Hall of Fame you know, ballots already start to be filled out. And I'm not going to say that he's not a hall, a hall of famer already, maybe even first ballot, but I want to get what y'all's takes are in terms of his career. Um, But as far as Rob Gronkowski goes, you know, you saw the, the different stats and what he's meant to the industry and the position um, and kind of just what your thoughts on the impact he's had. You know, really, I mean, if you think about Tom Brady's career, you know, it really is coinciding with Rob Gronkowski's career. I think with Rob Gronkowski retiring, I've seen some things, you know, it's the end of the Belichick era, but it's really show and telling of where Tom Brady is in his career too, right? I mean, he he didn't he didn't he went to Tampa, he brought Rob with him. I think this is showing how much Rob is integral in that conversation of one of the best tight ends to ever have played the position. Don't get me wrong, I, I hated him as a Panthers fan, but the man did work. I mean, he 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 was definitely a dependable tight end that you could depend on Sunday in and Sunday out. He, of course, his personality takes him above and beyond football. But for him as just a player, I think that he was not only a solid tight end, he was a great receiver. He can make plays after plays plays after the catch. I mean, he made many touchdowns over the middle, going 20, 30 yards for a touchdown. If you're asking me and my and what I can remember from a tight end perspective, I'm putting him in the top five. And see, I think it depends on the metric there. I mean, you take a look at some of the guys, like if I'm thinking, you know, top five, if if I'm having to put that in perspective, I mean, you can't go without saying guys like Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates as who I'm going to put ahead of him. And the thing that I feel like differentiates those guys from Gronk, and it might be indicative of how they portrayed him and how his personality came off, you know, very, very John Cena-esque, very The Rock kind of personality when he was out there. But for me, I feel like if you're going on metrics of just being a good tight end and having the, you know, the 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 mindset of being a good tight end, the route running ability, I'm not putting him that entirely high up in that regard. As far as just being a physical just presence and running guys over, I mean, I was watching some of the highlights. It's not like he, those balls were, you know, going way out into the sides. I mean, he was getting balls pretty placed pretty well by Brady. So I feel like that elevated his career you know to the hall of fame status because other than that i think he's just a bruiser i think he was just a bruiser he would run you over he was fast for his size but as far as you know top five goes i mean if i i'm a little biased because i feel like i would i would pick personally a greg olson over a rob gronkowski any day of the week in in my personal opinion in terms of do i want a guy that's going to go out there and just you point and he's going to run that way or is he going to say okay well this is a way we can maybe do it better or have you know a conversation you know elevate the talent of the quarterback cam newton was elevated by greg olson's ability i would argue that i don't think gronkowski really elevated brady's ability even though he didn't really have to tyler what do you kind of think of where you he would he would how you would line up or give a give a little insight well it's funny because coming into that 2010 draft Gronk was, you know, he fell a little bit further than people thought because of his health concerns and injury concerns coming in. And ultimately, that's kind of why we see him, you know, end. And we saw towards the end of his career, um, you know, with the first retirement, the injuries that that came upon him. But um, still, though, where where he was taken in that draft for him to overcome those injuries, um, 
and become the greatest tight end of all time is is really remarkable and is, is, is exciting to see when you know looking at draft prospects and um gauging the injury information as something from the outside we don't have access to where in, in this situation it, it, he overcame them um you know played a long career despite it being very beat up and, and we know that um, he's talked about some of the injury and health concerns that he dealt with every single day um even in the prime of his career but um you know gronk will go down as um, one of the best to ever do it and in my opinion the best tight end of all time Interesting. All time, Interesting. Really? What do you, now? Yeah, what right. makes you now? What makes you say that? With Gronk, the presence over the middle of the field is unlike any other. Um, you know, his his game is a little bit different from from the rest of the tight ends. Um, you know, obviously, red zones threat still with his physicality in the air, ability to you know really truly post people up in the red zone. But he's not this, um, you know, Jimmy Graham, Tony Gonzalez, like truly like dominate with his body in the air um he's more that physical post you up and then obviously after the catch and his physicality as a route runner you had a game plan for gronk week in and week out and um from a matchup perspective defensively there were guys that were um that were as fast as him and as physical as him um his physicality is unmatched at the position i think very few tight ends if any come close to his physicality not only as a run blocker but just throughout the route and to create separation um against guys that were just as fast as him he could you know easily post them up box them out and then still run away from the bigger um hulkier uh, safeties and linebackers which is why i think he was the best um you know you said you know played with brady obviously helped never really played consistently with anybody else so i that could be the argument against him when it comes to like Canton and stuff like that. No, I don't, I have no doubts that he'll be a first ballot hall of famer, but um, just his impact over the middle of the field, what he did um, on a, from a consistency perspective, um, you know, there was no question that Gronk was going to get it done. And each week the defense had to you know, put a special and particular game plan together for him. And not a lot of players picked it on their own. I would say, I, I want to chime in on that. Cause I think Jack, you, you presented something on the metric piece, right? I don't think Gronk would have been as dominant if Aaron Hernandez hadn't gotten in his situation, right? Let's be 100% honest on that perspective. The other thing I would say to that, though, is to your point, Tyler, he was one of the most gifted of coming across the middle. His 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 yards after the catch, I don't think, have been maybe Travis Kelsey trumps him in that category, maybe. But outside of that, I don't see many tight ends doing what he did. Antonio Gates was the most efficient. And, and Tony Gonzalez is, is is the GOAT just because of his longevity and, and what he went through from KC going to Atlanta. Uh, but overall, I think Gronk, if you look at him in his totality, he did progress as the years went on, and he made himself, to your point, his size, his size and his ability after the catch, his athleticism <clears throat> is unmatched. I think moreover with that, with Gronk, it's just his mentality and how he approached the game. He almost approached the game as a wide receiver in the tight end's body. He had a lineman physicality about him because of his size, but the finesse that he played with. Now, a lot of that does have to do with Tom Brady's finesse and how he presented the ball to him. I don't think Gronk would have been Gronk as we know him with another quarterback. 
And that's where, and you mentioned it with Tony Gonzalez there, is that's one of the biggest, you know, instances we saw of going from one regime to the other. And of course, in Atlanta, he was a, you know, he had Matt Ryan there at the tail end or whoever he was playing with. But that's where I, I look at the list of guys that I sort of consider, you know, of that top five, top 10 area. And you get guys like Shannon Sharp, you know, Antonio Gates, you get you know, even, I mean, like you could even make it case for i guess jason witten but they had quarterbacks consistent quarterback play for the majority of their careers consistent teams for the majority of their careers and and so i guess you know i was thinking about the argument in my own head thinking you know well you know the when they when you talk about gronk aside from his physical attributes and the way he played the game in terms of you know accomplishments i was gonna say you know my argument in my head was would he have been able to achieve, you know, that many touchdowns in a season, that many receptions, that much yards, that many Super Bowl wins without being on if he was not on the Patriots? But then I guess, you know, that's kind of an unfair argument because you could say the same thing about Antonio Gates. You could say the same thing about Shannon Sharp. You could say the same thing about, you know, Mike Ditka. And I think that's where and I'm kind of along that old, you know, maybe the older perspective where I think Tony Gonzalez, in my mind, yes, I think still holds that he didn't obviously have the same ability it was it's different play styles and it's almost like apples and oranges because Gronk is very indicative of the new not new but this era of tight ends when you look at Travis Kelsey George Kittle you know guys like that that can Mm -hmm. do what they do because then I also now I also want to say this too not only just talk about because of course you always talk about Belichick and the Patriots and the systems that they you know that they put in place and the effect that had on their success but another thing I would you know, want to argue with Gronk, especially where it's different. I feel like than some of the other guys and talking about the offensive talent that surrounded Gronk, you know, and the guys that were getting the the targets. I mean, Wes Welker and Julian Edelman all obviously got, you know, a good amount of targets, but probably not more so than Gronk in their times when they were playing. And, and, and that's where I'm like, you know, was he able to accrue that much success and, and pad those stats because who else are you going to throw to? I know you still have to, obviously, you know, you still have to try to put a defense around there for him, but that's my kind of my thought process there where it's like, you have some other tight ends. There's other guys they might go to first. I think it's one of those areas where it was for the first time in a while where the tight end was your primary weapon for your roster. Yeah. I think, I think when you said Jason Witten, I would put Gronk above Jason Witten. I think Jason Witten was a great tight end. By, by far, but I don't think Jason Witten's impact on a game was as impactful as a Gronk was on a game, right? Don't get me wrong. Jason Witten had a great surrounding cast, as did Gronk, but Gronk made that offense better because he made them spread the field. You had, to, to Tyler's point earlier, you had to account for him. You couldn't just say, oh, he's going to come off, he's going to block for X percentage, just 30% of the game, and then we don't have to worry about him across the middle, but X. Gronk, you had to account for him every play. He could come off a slide off of a block. Brady does his check down. He's going to get him in the flat. They get him coming across the middle. And then after the catch, who's going to stop him? You got a 6'2 cornerback, barely 200 pounds wet, going against Gronk, who is pretty much the Incredible Hulk running at you, right? That's like a Cam Newton coming at you, to be honest. So to me, I think that that's where, that's why I put him in the top five, right? It's because of his physicality, his athleticism, and what his, what his impact was overall. Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate because you know going back, um, you know long long ago, the tight end position wasn't what it is now, and it 
these guys that we're talking about, you know, Tony Gonzalez, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Gates, um, among many others, are um, a line of guys who have slowly changed the tight end position to what it is now where you have Kyle Pitts going fourth overall in the NFL draft. He's a glorified receiver and is, you know, changing the, the position. But we saw this development over the years of, um, you know, they're not just this extra tackle. And um, it's really exciting because to see – um, with the Patriots throughout those years, how having a tight end um, that not only is um, dominant over the middle of the field as, as a receiver, but as a blocker and brings that physicality each and every play also enhances the run game um, and how how valuable that is to an offense. Um, and, and it's really not measured in a lot of the, the ways that we see. I mean, we saw after Jimmy Graham had his big seasons with the Saints, he was trying to get paid as a receiver. Uh, following his a lot of his success when it was uh, when, when the time came that he was going to get paid, and I can only imagine what we're going to see from guys like Kyle Pitts and these glorified receivers, where their their time's about to get paid, and you know they they said, well, why don't you pay me like a receiver? And um, you know, tight end, it's a position where you know kids coming up, growing up the high school ranks, you know the the kids that are in that body type are playing defensive end or playing on the D line, because if they make it to the NFL, that's where the money is. They know that the tight end position in the NFL isn't getting paid what these premium pass rushers are. So there's less incentive for kids, you know, coming up in the seven on seven, coming up in the high school football ranks to play at the tight end position and rather go to the D line or bulk up and play tackle. Um, and it's really a shame because of how much of an impact it can have to an offense and just the game in general. And, and that's where I love seeing stuff like, you know, tight end university. I love seeing that so much because first of all, it takes a, a, a certain, not only body type, but I'm not going to say mental stability. I'm going to say a certain personality to be tight end. It's a humorous position. You, you see the guys, they fit a certain mold. And I love seeing that. Now, Jason, what I want to ask you is, do you think if they had a tight end university come up in the eighties or nineties, what kind of impact would that have with bringing those, all those guys together? I actually, you know what? I actually think it was probably the Jeremy Shockeys of the world that kind of started that, right? Like Shockey was like one of the first that had that attitude about him and brought that vibrancy to the NFL when he was up in New York. Like you looked at Plexico Burris and then you look down the line, you got Jeremy Shockey. What are you working with? Like that was that was the first kind of thing. I think if you put together a tight end university back in the day, I'm going with Miami. Either that or Notre Dame. But really, Miami, I mean, you know, Shock was like, to me, he was like a phenomenon. I mean, when we got him at the end of his career, I was so excited to get him just because of who he was as a player. You know, that was that was an odd that was an odd time getting both Shockey and all. And I remember getting Shockey like, oh, my God, we got Jeremy Shockey. And then I was like, <laughs> right. Greg Olson, dude. And it's exactly. funny how those things kind of work out. So now I'm going to ask, you know, the, the biased question or maybe the unbiased question. Where do you put Greg Olson in? Where do you put Greg Olson in this list? Does he crack the top 10? Top 15, not top 10. Top 15, not top 10. I mean, I just think that Olsen, to me, is by far the greatest Panther tight end. That we, well, Wesley Walls, but then I'm giving it I'm giving it to Olsen on that um, for me. But outside of that, I think, you know, Olsen is probably top 15, maybe number 12, 13 for me. Okay. I was going to say around around the same thing too. I feel like he's going to fall like he's somewhere there in between like Algie Crumpler and then like yeah. Vernon Davis. Like he's in the middle of the two. 
He right. probably should be. Ne- I th- I would put him neck and neck with Vernon Davis. I know that's a tough sell because of Vernon Davis's longevity and just the yeah. consistency with which he played in the entirety of his career. And of course, Greg's injuries didn't really help there in the tail end of his career. Like I feel like if he would have maybe. I don't know, after 2016, 2017, you know, that's when he, well, of course, when the Panthers started to fall, you know, he fell with them. And I still don't, I still don't forgive our, he- our, our, our health and fitness staff or whatever the hell they did to our organization for those five years. But I, I want to, so Shanti's were talking about it. Where would you put Greg Olson in that, in that top 10 list? And are you putting Gronk at the top of all the top of all time tight ends? Yeah. Gronk is at the top. Um, then it kind of kind of gets murky after that. I think about guys like Tony Gonzalez has got to be somewhere in that top three or four. Shannon Sharp's in there somewhere. Like you, between Gonzalez and Sharp, you can kind of go either way. I won't be, I won't really discredit you either either way it goes. Then with Olsen, he would fall. God, I, I think it's some more names. Because honestly. Olsen could go in the top 10 if you really wanted to put him there because stat- statistically, he was the first to ever, you know, put together consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. Then they started to become the norm after after Olsen. So you can't, I mean, that stretch of where he was three consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, just the only problem. Would have had that before. fourth, too. Exactly. But you got to talk, talk about Mark Bravaro. You said Mike Dicker. Mike Dicker was a huge tight end back in the day. I mean, Algie Crumpler. Totally, Ozzy New, Ozzy Newsom, Ozzy Newsom, Newsom, yeah. Even like Kellen Winslow, I feel like would still fall somewhere along like the, you know. Got to give it to him. Got to give it to him. I feel like our era of football, like me and uh, me, Jack and Tyler's era, like the tight end position is just totally different. different. Like I I, I don't, I don't see any like panties. There's only like three tight ends now currently that that I I would consider like that that potentially pantheon great. You got Kittle, Kelsey. And Gronk, you know, even though he just retired, and the, and that's really where the list stops. And you get, and you got a bunch of guys that are borderline receivers. And that's the yeah. argument I was making. It's, it's turned and almost, and it's. I feel like it's in a shift in the personality. I mean, think about like the 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 differences between Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates, you the, 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 the like the shaded visor, you couldn't see into his soul. You didn't know what was going on. You just knew he was coming to hit you and hit you hard. And that and that followed along with guys like Tony Gonzalez. You knew Tony Gonzalez was coming. You would hear him coming from a mile away, and you could watch him come at that speed as well. But you knew he was going to hit you in the mouth, and they were, you know, not stoic per se, but they let, you know, their pads do the talking. And not that they don't do that now, but I mean, it's where you got Rob Gronkowski, you know, shotgunning beers after the Super Bowl, George Kittle smiling like the Joker as he's blocking guys into the ground. Like it's a different personality almost between the two. I, I just feel like you know now the current day tight ends a little bit different. So I so I, so I definitely feel I definitely feel like you know when we look at tight ends, the older guys, that, that, this is the one position where I look to the older generation, like the like back in the 80s, where yeah. tight ends are a lot more prevalent as far as being a part of the blocking game and in the receiving game, because at that point, there wasn't a whole, I mean, the West Coast office obviously was was around, but teams were still tight and heavy. It was Dustin time. Keller out of the Jets. It was Dustin Keller who oh, I was thinking okay. of. That's who I was thinking of, Dustin Keller. And it was Chamura out of uh, Green Bay. But it was Dustin Keller as an old school for me. He was a beast. He was a beast for a little bit. I mean, I'll put I'll put Jared Cook in the top fifteen. It might be fifteen, but I'll put him in the top fifteen. Yeah. For sure, like longevity. Yeah, because I mean, his, his career has been very odd. Because they didn't start out 
Like it didn't start out this very lucrative. He somehow became a a guy people want wanted to have on their roster by year by six or seven. That's when he started to become a guy. I think he's on team like number. 10 now i don't even know how many teams if he's still in i think he's still in the league i don't think he's i I think so too we're forgetting like bubba franks jermichael finley jermichael finley you know so we got i mean to your point i mean it's a it's a jeff would be screaming in his boots if he didn't if he didn't think we mentioned frank wycheck if he knew we didn't talk about (laughs) he'd be losing his mind right now if he knew that yeah, catch 22, though. I mean, that's a catch 22, like you said. Like, the tight end position has evolved. Jimmy Graham went after receiving money. But, Tyler, you made you go out of a great point about the money. The money's getting ready to change, though. They don't have a choice. Because if you think about it, last season, how many times did you see real quarterbacks check down to their tight end? I would give it, percentage-wise, 60% of the time. Just to get that tough yardage in the red zone, get that extra yards to get that first down, it was always a tight end. It was always a tight end, whether it was a Kittle or whether it was, you know, Tremble, you know, in our case, you know what I mean? Right. And I think you're right about Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is that hybrid, but Kyle Pitts is going to get paid for another reason. Kyle Pitts is going to get paid because he is as athletic as, as, a, as a Gronk, but he is way more, to me, cognitively a receiver than any other tight end that I've seen. And that's, and that's early on me in my assessment. Oh, and that's what like that. That was like, you know, one I of the first. Us to get him. I wanted us to get him, to be honest with you. That was my draft pick, to be honest with you. So then well, let's talk about that now. You talk about our tight end usage and, you know, the decline it's taken since Greg Olson, you know, left. What would you want to see from our organization? I think I like the move they did with Tremble. I don't think he kind of, I think he has the potential. He's got a lot of upside, but, you know, I also liked Ian Thomas coming out of college. I liked what we saw. I was like, that's a good bargain pick. I'll let Ty, uh, Tyler, you can cut in real quick with what your, uh, what your indication was of Ian Thomas coming out of school. I remember we talked about, I think we were part, I think we were there for that draft. I can't entirely remember. Oh no, no, we were, that was a long, that was a couple of years before us, I believe, because he was with the old regime. Um, oh God, that's right. Yeah. And, and so initially with Ian Thomas, he came in, everybody, you know, had the hype. He was the second tight end worked in here and there and there was a lot of hype and then with the old regime when he got his chance um you know really didn't work out they they really didn't like him he kind of got pushed to the back burner and then um as of late as a tight end too as a rotational guy with um you know in the rule era that he's been you know we paid him this offseason he's been a guy that we look to as a guy that developed into um a, a solid blocking tight end you know has the athletic upside and and um, some of the receiving potential that you need um, sparingly, but he's not a guy that changes the game, which is perfectly okay because um, I know, I mean, it seems like you really liked him coming out. I did as well um, in that weaker tight end class that had Hayden Hurst, um, Dallas Goddard came out of that class. But um, yeah, he was, he was a, a guy that I saw as a potential fit for us. And then Tommy Tremble is a lot of the same, but um, you know, thinking about the tight end position, how, how tough it is um, in the development for these guys. They got to come in, learn the whole run scheme um, like they're an offensive lineman. Then they have to develop into a pro passing game um, like they're a receiver. So the development for these tight ends, it takes a lot longer, which is why it's so impressive to see, um, you know, rookie and earlier tight ends have a lot of success right away. Um, when it comes to Tommy Tremble, he was always going to be a guy that took a, a couple extra years just because, um, you know, of some of the, the raw or the rawness that he has come to the passing game. But, um, 
you know, I was like really excited about Tommy because of his speed and his blocking. I mean, if you're going to take two things from a tight end, you'll take those and you'll figure it out later. But, um, you know, Tommy Tremble is somebody that I'm really excited to going into year two. And, you know, we talk about all these great tight ends, but, you know, it's just, it's really similar to quarterback. It's hard to find a guy that truly changes the game at the position, which is why when you get one, it's so, it's so special and it changes your offense. Um, and that's why Kyle Pitts went fourth overall, despite tight end not being seen as a premium position. So um, I'm willing to give Tommy a, a couple extra years to figure this thing out because, you know, you're, a, a great tight end is not going to fall into your lap and he has all um, the traits that you like to see. And at, at the very least, he's going to be a good run blocker. I would agree with that. I think it's also, I mean, I'm a bit more patient with it as well because, I mean, we got a bigger issue of who's under center. You know, I'm not going to expect top tier production from my tight end when we're not, I mean, who's who's going to be throwing to him? So that's where I get, you know, I get a bit more patient. The thing that upsets me, though, is that especially with Ian Thomas, I remember preseason went off, you know, when he had those dips and spurts to come in, you know, to back up Greg went off. And it seems like each training camp, and each mini camp, he he shows out, and all we hear is Ian Thomas, you know, putting in work. Ian Thomas has made these leaps and strides, and then it never translates. Or and, and I've always blamed, you know, the usage. I think, you know, like when we had Brady, there was no, it was just, it was nothing, and I was upset because you know the way he utilized, um, oh forgive me, what's his name, the LSU tight end who didn't really do much, but that most, that yeah. That is Moss. And of course, you know, he, he was still, even in that roster, still was able to make waves and still was utilized in the, in the postseason and the regular season for LSU. And that's when, you know, I was like, all right, cool. He'll be able to use Ian Thomas in a similar way. Nothing. Well, you, you do know, like, ever since we had Wesley Walls, we didn't really use our tight end until we got. No, we didn't. Like the Olsen era, right? Yeah. And Olsen was kind of that security blanket for Cam Newton, you know, yeah. for him when he came in. I think, you know, for us under center, I mean, I looked at some stats just trying to see where Baker and kind of Garoppolo were kind of similar, you know. And when I did that, it was kind of interesting. The interesting part was, so Garoppolo threw for 38-10 last season. Baker threw for 30-10. Garoppolo threw 20 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Baker threw 17 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. But the QBR ratings are stark. Jimmy G's uh, QBR was at 53.3 and Baker was at 35.1. So you've got similar stats. You've got similar stats, but the QBRs are way off. So what does that tell you about efficiency? Shantese knows the answer. I'm going to tell you the answer. I'm going to let Shantese tell it, though. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Is it Kelsey? Is it Kelsey? Is that what I mean? No. Well, I'm, I'm say <laughs> It's partially just handing the ball off to Debo. I was, it's Debo. <laughs> also having George Kittle doesn't hurt you. And also playing with the offensive mind with Shanahan that's got to make that that keeps the ball safe. He that that's that's usually been his mainstay. He, that, that Shanahan family is a run that's a run first family. Yes. They, if, if they if, if they have it their way, they're gonna run the ball thirty times a game. And so Jimmy G's much more protected in that offense. So. I think if you put Jimmy G in a situation that Baker was in, especially maybe his first couple of years in Cleveland, you would have seen similar numbers, maybe even worse from Jimmy G. But, but Baker's a situation where I think physically, I think we, I think we all think that Baker's got a little bit more off than, than Jimmy G does. I think he's got more playmaking ability than, than Jimmy G as a passer, but decision-making also becomes, comes into question. But I've seen some of Jimmy G's decision-making in, in key moments and it hasn't looked the greatest either. <laughs> It, no. it, it looks it looks great, 
on pay on on paper is because again Shanahan's able to able to manipulate and hide and hide his guys. Padded stats. Padded stats. I think. Sure. I, yeah, I mean that's where your QBR gets a little a little skewed. What was it? I think uh, when we brought on oh the kicker we just got on the kicker we just um oh crap this is gonna From, kill me um, Gonzalez. No, the kicker we just signed. Oh, we signed new. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> I have to edit this out. Put a little back. <laughs> a good kicker. Like, oh, what's the name? Or maybe maybe he was a punter, one of the two. I mean John Hecker. Thank you. Johnny Hecker. I knew it was one of the two. They both kick. Whatever. They don't need to be a distinction. Um, don't tell Jeff I said that. But heck when like the thing with QBR for me though is like, I mean, when we brought Hecker on, he was our highest, he had a highest QBR of any of the people we had on our team. So that's where it's a little skewed for me. But I to your point though, Jason. I think, and to Shanti said too about you know the flip flop. I think it's very indicative, especially these guys. When you have a, a quarterback like with the style of play like Jimmy G or Baker, semi mobile, you know, got the gunslinger arm, supposed to be able to you know read and analyze. I think that, and it's just, I think it's the same for Jared Goff, and I think it's the same for you know guys like Carson Wentz. It's I think a lot to do between you find the fine line between talent and coachability. I think on Baker's side, clearly coming out of college, he had that talent. He had the ability to make plays when needed up here might not have been so concrete. That was what we, you know, we always heard was the discipline, the mindset. And I mean, you look at the, the weapons he was given. I mean, David Noku, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, like Rashard Higgins, like he had guys and he could just hand it off too if he wanted to. He had those guys, but what was the main issue with the with the Browns the entirety of his career has been the coaching staff, a continuing circle of changing of coaching staff to where there's no one that could get a could have the time to build a relationship with Baker and build up that, you know, this, you know, come to maturity or come to adulthood. Like, here's what you got to do. I think to be successful, you got to take it with the ups and downs. I think Cam Newton would have gone through the exact same stuff if it weren't for Rivera being there the entirety. We saw all saw the cam, you know, and, and Jeff would always say it was one of the things he hated most about cam was the, you know, he was high when he was winning and he was low as hell when he was losing, you know, the, the towel cam was, you know, one of the, they, they had every time they talked about cam, they would just, or they would show him with the towel over his head, but he benefited from having Rivera for the entirety of his time. And a guy like Rivera to say, look, man, you got to brush this stuff off. You got to change the way you're thinking. It's affecting your, you have one of the most insane physical talents we've ever seen. You got to get it right up here. And I don't think Baker obviously had the same physical talent, but I mean, he like people, it was like the second coming of Johnny Manziel in college. And then they thought it was going to, you know, be better going into the NFL flip side that with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think you could give that guy all the coaching in the, in the world. And clearly he's got the, you know, guys around him to get it done. I think there's just that, one little X factor missing. I because I think you know having Shanahan there has been helpful for him. And I think that, you know, I, I think we've seen his Jimmy's ceiling. I think whatever he's accomplished is what he can accomplish in my mind. I mean, the roster he took to the Super Bowl obviously was not the best roster he's had offensively. Defensively, I think it was. I mean, it's hard, you know, hard to argue with the way that they've had injuries the last few years, but offensively, this year was insane ridiculous yeah. still not reminds me oh great i'm sorry Jack. no i saw what i was saying there is though you know i think that's why they're so close because you could do the exact same thing you could put jimmy g in cleveland he would i think achieve maybe a little bit less but if not des- exactly the same baker 
I don't think would have won that. I don't think Baker would have won that Super Bowl against the Chiefs. I don't think anyone was winning, no. even though it was very neck and neck, and the 49ers had it for a time. I don't think Baker would necessarily have won that Super Bowl. Now, this year, with the talent that he had in the 49ers, the way that offense was ran, might have gone a little bit farther and maybe might have even made a push or given a Rams, you know, a run for their money. But that, that was my main point there is that I don't think it's surprising at all to see that the stats, you know, line up that similarly, which is why I think both of them, whoever you put on our team, would have the exact, would have incredibly similar outputs and levels of success and longevity. So, Jack, I agree with you there. I was going to say Jimmy G reminds me of Mark Brunel, but a little bit better, right? Can manage a game, can get you wins, can get you in the playoffs, but can he win the big game? That's the big question mark. My problem with Jimmy G is he's good in the regular season, but when he gets to the postseason, he can't – he just can't seem to just cross that line for me. Because there Baker, was plenty of moments uh, – I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to cut in, but there was plenty of no. moments in that, in that Rams game where it was there for the taking. Hey, bro. Oh, yes, sir. Go, go take it over. Oh, yes, sir. You need one. You just need one drive. Go take it over. I mean, they were a fourth – they were a fourth – that fourth and what? Fourth and four conversion away from – a potential, you know, Super Bowl yeah. championship against the Chiefs, if I remember correctly. Just, mm-hmm. the, just the amount of lows in the game with Jimmy G, that, that where, where, there's, where there's nothing happening. That's the part that gets me because I mean, right. obviously the first 10, 15 plays are scripted out. They work, they work great. Now when we get to the second and when we get to the meat of the second and third quarter, all right, what can you do? What what can you do to, to finish off this sandwich? You need we need to add we, we need to add the meat to this sandwich here for the here to finish it off. And he just don't have enough of that to get it done. So my defense for that, and that's what I was saying. So my defense for Baker Mayfield is they're similar, but to me, Baker gives you that oomph. He's going to get the fire underneath the team to get you that extra, like Cam used to do. We'd be counted out in the third quarter, and Cam would come in the huddle. He'll, round the, he'll rouse the guys up, and then we get on the field. He's going to do what it takes to get us down the field, get us that extra yard, get us that extra push. I think we have a better chance if you're asking if we had a choice between Jimmy G and Baker, I'm leaning towards Baker. And I'm gonna let Tyler jump in here a sec, but I'm gonna interject with my my point for that and the counterpoint. It's the double-edged sword that I think comes with Cam or guys like Ryan Tannehill or let's be honest, Sam Darnold. It's that same kind of like you said. They have that X factor. I think Jimmy G doesn't take enough risks, and I think it's where you see the interception and touchdown ratio differ a little bit. I think Baker. He's not necessarily willing, but of course he wants to make that play. But that doesn't mean the talent always follows along with it or the opportunity because Cam was very bad about that come 2013, 2014. And then even again, the second round, you know, 2018, 2020 here, he felt he needed to make that play and he would force the ball, push it downfield. Ryan Tannehill, the same way. It's why you saw three turnovers, three, four interceptions against the Bengals. Now, of course, we know the Bengals defense was not a, you know, an outlier. That wasn't just, you know, a random game for them. They were, they were coming with it, but that's where you get that. And because I think Ryan Tannehill falls in that same line of, of quarterback and that same kind of, you know, echelon of quarterbacks where, you know, he's got that, like, I think he's got the coachability there and he's got that talent, but that talent's only going to go so far. And then you get to that gray area where you're trying to make up either for the lack of talent and coaching and you're forcing that ball downfield. And that's where Baker, you see some games where he's going to throw, he'll throw four touchdowns, but he'll throw four picks in that game too. Okay. So where exactly does Sam Donald fit into this? Cause we sound like we're talking about. But he's right, the, I, got he's the the I got the stats. I got the stats. 25, 27 for yards, 
Nine touchdowns, 13 interceptions, QBR is 33.2. He's the outcome of when you don't have the talent and there's no one coaching you either. So you just don't have <laughs> anything going for you and you're just grasping at straws. That's, I mean, and you feel, I, I personally, I feel almost a little bad for him. Like, what is he supposed to do in this situation? I, I, I mean, he, million and sit the bench. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't feel for him because your performance led you here. That's what got you here. But what's going to make me play. upset? What's going to make me upset though? We paying eighteen million for you to ride the bench. I'll sit. That the makes bench. me more I, upset. Yeah. Can I go? Can I go sit the bench for eighteen million? Exactly. Now, if I feel bad for anybody, I do feel bad for Baker because I don't think Baker deserved the treatment he got out, out of Cleveland. Because the things he, I mean, first of all, he got you your first playoff win, and how long was it since they had a playoff win? Since like, it's like what, 20, it's like, 30 years, something longer, like that? longer than any of us besides Jason, not to date I, him, have been ooh. alive. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Bernie Kozar, Cleveland Browns. You know yeah, you're right. Like, you're right. You're right. You're right. Cleveland Browns Stadium. You feel me? So, I mean, you talk about a guy that came in and did that. And not only that, I mean, he played this year with a bum shoulder. And I can't excuse – I can't – you know, he played. So, I mean, you don't get an excuse if you decide to strap it up. But let's be real. I mean, you you, you go out there with a, with, 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 a, with a shoulder that's no good trying to play play a, phys- a physical game like this. You're not going to be what you, what you want to be out there. So – and for him to sacrifice that to try to prove himself worthy of getting that of getting a deal from them, and and for, and for it all to end up with them going after Deshaun Watson, and now they're in, in the situation, the situation they're in, I feel bad for him because that's he it gave you the loyalty that that we that we swear what that people swear they want to see out of guys. And then right. until until it's time for the rubber to hit the road, and then one one side is hitting you with a peace sign, and one guy's up on the side of the road. So. Tyler, give it, give it, give us your thoughts on the, on the comparison between the, on, on the trio and what and the situations that surround them. The whole dynamic is has a lot of moving parts to it. With, um, you know, we knew going into this offseason we needed to add more, more somebody, something new at quarterback. We we're gonna just roll with PJ and stuff. so we draft Corral. All right, it seems like a very short term fix. Um, you know, he's got to really show out this season. Just historically, third round, fourth round draft picks at quarterback haven't proven to be, um, you know, long time, long-term starters, even if they've had some success early on. I mean, look at Davis Mills right now. He had a, um, a very good rookie season compared to what people expected, and there's no guarantee that he's starting in 2023. So that's my thought on the third-round quarterback. And then, um, you know, the summer comes, and Jimmy and Baker are still um, in trade talks across the league, not just with the Panthers, but um, with other teams in general. We know that the Cleveland's quarterback situation is very complicated. There's, you know, a, I don't think it's a hot take to say that Baker's not playing there, regardless of the situation, even if they need him to start. That's just Baker. Um, and then we, we know the 49ers situation is very difficult, but ultimately I think they're going to move off Jimmy um, and start Trey, uh, whether he's whether Jimmy's on the roster or not. So that makes them, you know, want to move off Jimmy. But, you know, the, the difference between the two quarterbacks is – um, they have both played in that West Coast play action, run the ball offense, and been successful in it. Now, we know Baker's going to be a lot more, um, you know, errant with his throws and risky to force things downfield, where Jimmy is, you know, perfectly fine, um, you know, laying up and, and taking in the checkdowns, which is where they differ. Um, both are very different leaders and have had success as leaders. Jimmy, we know coming in, is going to be uh, successful as a leader right away, as he's done it for. 
um, such a long time with so many different faces. And he's one of the guys across the league that's so respected amongst um, players and coaches. So you know what you're getting right away with Jimmy. Baker brings that energy. Um, you know, it could go one of two ways. Um, he usually responded well to it. But with the team, um, you know, when things aren't going great, you wonder how that plays out. Um, and then, like Sean T said, the injury last year, uh, you don't know. We just don't know um, what that kind of effect had on his play. He was in a good situation with, um, you know, the run game there in Cleveland, but um, his pass threats and weapons there were not what they um, what they used to be. So, um, who gets us into the playoffs? or who gives us the best shot at the playoffs in 2022, I say Jimmy Garoppolo, who has the best shot at um, winning the job long-term and being a potential quarterback for years to come, I'd say, I'd say Baker Mayfield. Interesting. And, you know, it's funny, and, and Shanti's kind of talked about it with the loyalty in quarterbacks. I'm thinking about the situations that, you know, surrounded all three of them. You have Deshaun, who obviously they made horrible decisions in that front office, had gotten you, you know, elongated success, consistent success, always missed the mark and felt like they never surrounded him with anything. So, you know, he's like, I want to leave. I don't want to play here anymore. Then you look at Jimmy and Baker. And like we talked about it, no playoff success or any success for that matter until really those two quarterbacks got to your organizations. Of course, you built, you know, teams around them. Jimmy, I mean, getting them to the Super Bowl for the first time since Kaepernick was on the field and, and, and Baker getting them the first time, you know, getting to the playoffs for the first time since they, you know, were since half of that city has been alive so and it's interesting to me because then those as those organizations then go you've done nothing wrong for our team but we don't want you anymore these are quarterbacks that wanted to stay with these systems and wait out that's and same kind of situation Deshaun Watson was in except you know these two teams were kind of built were building up their organization and trying to surround them with talent and then you get the team go no we don't want you anymore we're not going to reward that sort of loyalty. But Tyler, I think it's interesting. You said you, you say Jimmy Garoppolo would give us the best chance for success there. I found that was an interesting take. I want to hear what the other guys have to say. Uh, crazy enough. I, I remember earlier in the off season, I felt, I, I, I did feel that way. Um, I still, I trust, I trust Jimmy a little bit more. I'd say for the same reason Tyler does, he's got to give me a level of consistency. I know I with Baker with the good comes the bad and comes the air and throws in the interceptions. And, and how how high are the highs and how low are the lows? Jimmy's more of a consistent, more more consistent. But again, taking taking him outside of the coaching staff he's played with with Josh McDaniels in New England, who as an offensive coordinator is you know much more revered than he is as a head coach. And Shanahan <coughs> and Shanahan has a play caller in San Francisco is like I you know while McAdoo has had solid offensive offensive success as a as an OC, so there are things to be positive about. But the consistency level, I, I I take I take Jimmy, but long term, I can like Tyler said, Baker will be the option. Yeah, I sort of agree with the both of you. Um, I just for me for Jimmy G, he's not gonna make it past week eleven. He's just <laughs> not gonna make it past week eleven. So then we back to Sam Donald being quarterback. You know what I mean? So I mean, unless Matt Corral makes a leaps and bounds sort of you know training camp progression out through, throughout the year, he's making those progressions. He'll fill in that gap, but I'm not trying to risk my my whole playoff future on Sam Donald coming in if Jimmy G goes down. So if you're asking me, I'm going with Baker. And the reason I go with Baker is because he's similar to Cam. Right, wrong, and different, good, bad, or injured. He's getting in that game. He's strapping up, balls to the wall, keep pounding grit. He's going to get in there, and he's going to get it done. 
So if you're asking me, I'm going with Baker overall. So then that leads me to my my final question here, because if, you know, you have that sort of confidence in your team as a whole, then, you know, it's a question of do you want that consistency to just continue the success, you know, to just moderate that success and push it forward? Or do you want this X factor who might, you know, be able to elevate that success or also might deter that success? The question being how what what is your confidence level in the roster right now outside of the quarterback position? And do you think that it's going to come down to that quarterback position to elevate that success? Uh, I think it's going to come down to the coaching position more so than anything. Because the one thing we haven't seen is Matt Rule improve over the course of the season, throughout the course of games. So, I mean, of course, quarterback is going to is, is gonna be a huge factor. And figuring out who, who, the, who that guy is. If you have Baker, then if you, if you have Baker or Jimmy G, I'm like, I feel confident in the quarterback play. Now, the biggest deterrent is always going to be the man at the helm, which is the head coach for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to start at the head, right? The head, the head leads, leads the team. So if your head isn't in it, doesn't have an idea of what he's doing. then at the end of the day, what are you really dealing with? Right? We need that consistency at the end of the day. You guys know how I feel about Mr. Rule. Rule <laughs> is out. He needs to go. I, I have no other words about him. And, and I think that that's going to be the telltale sign of where his team goes overall. Tyler. And, you know, that's where I completely agree. And that's where it comes in where, okay, we had the discussion of Jimmy and, and Baker, but for rule and the staff, we talked about this. It matters right now. We need to have success right now because we know that if they start 0 and 4, 0 and 6, um, you know, they're, they're not making it. That's very, very likely that they don't make it um, any further than that. So, they're looking for success right now, which is why um, we're still in the quarterback market after taking somebody in the third round. Now, what does that say to Matt Corral um, after seeing him in minicamp and OTAs? Um, you know, ho- hopefully it's not too much of a reaction to seeing him. But um, but when it when it comes to everything, the offensive line is starting to come together. We see the talent. Um, you know, second year player Brady Christensen, obviously a key corner. You know, there's there's talent there that has to come together for anybody to play um, behind that behind that offensive line, and I think this is the year that it can happen. And so I'm hoping that we don't blame any failures on the quarterback on the offensive line this year. I hope that if we fail offensively, it's because of the quarterback, and we can you know learn from that and figure it out that way, and that we don't have to continue to add to the offensive line because I'm very hopeful that it's going to be a strong unit. And I think it will be, but and, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so you, you know, you finish. No. Yeah. Just so, so whoever comes in, that's why I think it's going to be a completely different game uh, for a lot of these guys. Baker coming from an a already strong offensive line. Um, now it will be a very different offense for him. Jimmy, um, you know, given, given a great offense line, a very different um, situation for him. So I think it's going to be dependent on how this, this quarterback gets you know, fit in and comfort with the new system right away. And how and you know how they handle that new um, style passing game. So here's my challenge. Brought- hold on, hold on, hold on, one second, Jack. Here's my challenge to each of you voting for Jimmy Garoppolo. My challenge is to draft him on your fantasy football team this year. Then let's talk. I have him. Hey, please. Straight up, you know what I'm saying? Call it, call it what you will. You know how many how many points you lose for interceptions? Because I mean, Baker's gonna throw me at least two a game. <laughs> 
He's got he's got you there. Yeah, one of the possible. So hey, that was Cam Newton. We rode with Cam. Cam was no, one of the possible every hey, you know what? But Cam's gonna give me at least 80 yards on the ground and two more touchdowns. <laughs> so you got you got you got to even it out, and I would I don't know about y'all, but I was I was drafting Cam maybe as a backup on my on my fantasy roster. He wasn't I the first. Even, I, I wasn't even doing fantasy when we had Cam, bro. I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even <laughs> so, but my so here's my 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 continued hold up with this whole conversation, and why I feel like I can't make a a like a grasp for either option for me is exactly what y'all are saying as as far as the quarterback situation goes. Because for me, then if like. Obviously, there's different upsides and pros and cons for each quarterback there. But if the cap is still going to be set by whoever's at the head coaching spot, then that ceiling is consistent for each and every quarterback. Those quarterbacks are going to get to their own level. But as far as a team success goes and prolonged success this offseason, that still has to fall, so uh, you know, not solely, but partially on the coaching staff to put them in those positions to do well. Because we saw even with Teddy Bridgewater, you know, for this for the issues he had, he still played fairly consistently. He's probably been the he's by far been the most consistent quarterback that we have had under this regime. And you still, and of course, that was his. You know, that was the first year of the regime, so you had different. You had your issues there, but then those issues haven't gone away. A lot of those issues, you know, time management, timeouts taken in the first five minutes of the first quarter. We get to the second quarter, we don't have any timeouts anymore two-minute drills still being an issue coming into this year and we've known damn well that's a thing we need to check you know defense adjusting at halftime with the with the way the offensive of the other team adjusts was not doing that so for me you know we can bring in these guys but I, I feel it's all still indicative of who we have at head coach and you talked about it Jason or I mean Tyler you know not being able to blame the offensive line Right now, Rule and Darnold are both shaking in their boots because they know the, the writing is on the wall. The excuses are out the door. You put together a solid offensive line, a really solid offensive line. You're hoping McCaffrey is going to come, you know, full health this year. You don't, you know, you've got that. So you'll have him. You won't be able to fall back on him. Your defense has looked as one of the youngest and, you know, most consistent across the board it's been in a while. So now the excuses are out the door. All rule has to fall on now is quarterback. So why would he rush to bring in an above average quarterback to the system when if he can't perform well with that quarterback, all the blame, there's nowhere else it can go. You can't bring it in on the coach on your your offensive coordinator anymore. You, you can't do it because you have a time-tested offensive coordinator who's also been a head coach. This isn't some guy straight out of college who's never been in this position before. You've got a guy who's done this before. So you can't put it on him. And I think that's why we're sitting here on, on, on June 22nd and we still haven't made a decision because they're not rushing to make this decision because they said, why am I going to, you know, why am I going to rush to make this decision? If I've got a guy at head coach that I still don't completely trust to, to pull all of this together. There's, you know, there's no glue right now. That's the thing. McCaffrey can't be considered the glue of the team. You, you, no one on defense really can be considered the glue of the team. There's only one. Have, There's only one on defense. There's only one that can be the glue on defense. Be, Shaq Thompson. And and he, he's the only one. He's the only one. Yeah. He's the only one that can bring that defense together because he's the he's the senior leader. Yep. He's Keekly esque in the way that he approaches the the team the defensive side of the ball. He's not Keekly because there's no there's only one Keekly, yeah, let's be honest, honest. But Shaq Thompson is Keekly S because he did train under him. 
So I'm going to say the glue is going to have to come from Keekly. I mean, excuse me, from Shaq Thompson. I want him to feel so bad. Well, I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you this right now. Luke Keekley better stop messing around and coming on the field for mini camps and OTAs and training camp. If he's on the field of training camp and he's not in pads, I will have words for Mr. August Keekley. All right. I will have words for him because you need, you are still fine. Get your head right. Get back on the field, please. Or be DC or come or, on as a DC. Or, be DC. or even I'll take linebacker coach. I'll take that. Exactly. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take scouting. I'll take him as a head of scouting. He was doing right? it, and then he let, and then he did, and then he did it for like you know two months, and then he dipped. He doesn't want to be with Matt Rule. He doesn't no, want to be with and Matt I, Rule. And and more sympathetic, I could not be. But that's what I'm saying here is that like that's why I, it's so hard for me to make an argument for either one of these guys because I just at the end of the day, I mean, even to like put Dar- putting Darnold even in that conversation, I'm like, okay, it's gonna, it's not, obviously there's a difference between Darnold, Garoppolo, and Baker. But at the end, when when the chips fall and our season comes to an end, how much different is this record going to be, depending upon who we have at, at at under center? How much like there's a window that I think it's that we we're going to be playing through, you know, so you know game two below 500 to a game or two above 500, where if you're not making the playoffs in one of those records, then what does it matter at that point? You're still going to hit, you know, 10 to 15 draft pick coming up. So that's my, it's like, it seems like just a lot of putting eggs in those baskets for an outcome that seems pretty basic across the board. Now, obviously with Darnold, we could be back, you know, top 10 and in terms of draft, where we're picking in the draft. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> in terms of where we're picking it, that's the only top 10 we're hitting with this regime right now. That's the only yeah. top 10 we're coming into. I, I will say, I do think how this thing is going to be run. It's gonna it's gonna be different because you brought in two guys that are former yeah. head coaches on your staff, and so I, and that's why I think the, the the ploy is to get those guys in there for him to be able to lean on. I, and, and so with McAdoo being the OC, I I know everybody wasn't really ecstatic about the about the hire. I wasn't wasn't upset about it, but I mean, I, it, being realistic, I I know that he he does have NFL experience. He has put together solid, solid groups before. I do want to give him. The best group possible. Me, it start, and of course, at quarterback, I, w- I do want to give him the best quarterback possible to go work with. So I do think because of what he's done in this league, you know, prior to, if I give him the, if I give him the right guy, who, who you know, how, you know, how, how we go about deeming, the, you know, the, that guy is right. I do think he'll, we can have moderate success offensively. That, that'll be more consistent than what we had under Joe Brady. That'll, that'll, that'll. Be a, it'll be a little bit more substance. So, you know, Brady's offenses were hot to start the, start the game out, big lows throughout the rest of the game. Maybe that consistency level raises with a guy like like a McAdoo that's been in this league before, you know, and, and yeah. giving them the right guy at quarterback, maybe that helps them do that and we can possibly sneak our way into the playoffs. But that's just wishful thinking. So, fellas, can I ask a quick, can I ask a quick favor? I've got my son here, and he really is a huge Panthers fan. And I just want you to ask him a question, and I want you to hear his feedback, and I want you to tell him how right on he is. Is that okay in this last couple of minutes? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Juju, come in. Sit down. Tell me your name. Sit down. My name is Julian Brooks. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. How long you been a Panthers fan for? Uh, since I was like five. Do you do you remember why you first became a Panthers fan? Because my dad wouldn't tell me why, and he finally told me why <laughs> after screaming at the TV. 
That's about how it always goes. So, man, what are you most excited about this season? What is there a player that you're really excited to watch this year? Um, Iki Aquamu and our whole defense come together. Cause like our defense is just right there. We just don't we don't need any injuries. We just need to have a good season. Are you excited for JC Horn to have a full year? Yes. Who do you think could be the best player on on that defense right now? If Brian Burns could put it all together, maybe him, uh, J.C. Horn, or Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin, linebacker, because we need a replacement for Luke. Man, you are right on the money with that, especially with Brian Burns. He needs He's always right there. He's always right there. He just needs a little bit more. Yeah, him and Derek Brown. Absolutely, man. Well, we're going to be excited watching along the season with you. Hopefully, they'll give us something good to watch this year. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for letting me join. Dude, absolutely. You're right on the money. <laughs> Thanks, guys. He he's constantly he's constantly asking me about this 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 whole thing. He's like, "What are you doing, Dad? Are you on TV? Are you, are you on the radio? What are you doing, Pop?" Because I listen to the I, I listen to the fan every morning when I have them in the car. I have Odyssey, so I put that on when we're driving to school and then we're in the school loop. And there, and my son is always like, "Oh my God, Dad, why, why is Matt Rule still? What, what's going on?" So, I the, just wanted, you know. when I tell you the memories you just unlocked of riding to school in the morning, listening to the fan, and, and the way to school, that 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 hits different. That's literally what I would do all day long, all day long, man. So now he was been asking me. I said, "You know what? I'm gonna see if the boys will let you." And uh, he was like, "I was like, let me see at the end." So no, nah, it was cool. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate that. Of course, oh, no man. problem. You know, you you dare wrong for making them a Panthers fan. You could have saved them a lot of heart. <laughs> you're supposed to protect. You're supposed to protect your child. Come on now. So this is what really messed them up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you guys a quick tidbit. So, me and my ex, she was a Giants fan, right? So my old anniversary, and he made honor roll. I said, I promise you, you make the honor roll. I'll take you to your first game. So we go to the Giants Panthers game when Gano hits the field goal. Well, let me tell you what happens. Yeah, let me tell you what happens before that. So my homeboy, he knows some people with the team. He got us on the field passes. So I take them down beforehand. That's the surprise. They knew they were going to the game. I take them down to the field. OBJ's catching passes, right? One handed. Everybody's excited. The game starts. Everything's going crazy. Those last five minutes were the biggest joyous time of his life. He will tell you verbatim what happened. That good no kick. It goes down in history in my in my in, in everything forever. I'll go on my deathbed saying Gano's the greatest kicker that ever played the game. You know, it was it was really good. And he, he had to be the, the, and he had the only touchdown Colin Jones ever scored in his career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. That's, that's very a, true. That's but. a probably the best first memory you could have. I, exactly. I, I, I told him the same thing. That you can't. You really can't. I'm you can't. Yeah. Can, but. The chances of you getting a moment like that, your first, your first experience, bro, is second to none. Man. You can't, you that can't replicate is, that. That is ridiculous, and that's the one that you watch, like the all or nothing that they did yeah. for that for that game. Like, exactly. and the, the crazy part about the game before we go, they and this was you know one of the, the first year of, of of Tepper, and he was trying to do these little these little things, and this is what I really liked when he first came in, and he he's needs to focus more on the field now, but he was doing these things off the field. Fan experience, yep. you know, different ways of wearing different uniforms. I think we were wearing—I can't remember if we were wearing the light blues and the white pants that week, or if we were wearing. We were wearing. We were wearing. I think we were wearing the black pants with the white jersey with the blue stripes on. I, th- I think. I think he says. Even he says he was like, "Oh, dad, that's new." 
we've ne- yeah. he started bringing in the different uniform combinations jerry would never let us do loved him doing yeah. that you know and the one and the things he would do differently also was allowing different position groups to come out and be introduced out on the game that game they introduced right. the special teams that's out on the right. field, they said, you know, our kicker, here's our punter, here's our kick returner, here's, you know, J.J. Jansen. And in that game, you had not only a kick return touchdown, the first kick, re- the you know, blocked the muffed mm-hmm. punt return that yeah. we have never had. I think another blocked kick. And then you had the 60-something yarder on the fir- game. And where wasn't that the first game where they changed the end zone or they changed the, they changed the middle of the field? No, because we had our home opener uh, was the Cowboys that season. So we had already had the, the logo uh, change, if I'm not mistaken, because we, beat, we okay. beat the Cowboys at home that season. But that's that was right. just a, a ridiculous – that's a great first memory. And being on the field – being on the Panthers field on the sideline for pregame is a top-tier experience. Jeff and I have gotten to do that a handful of times, you know, and like seeing the stadium from the field and just seeing all the players running around, like especially with guys like OBJ running around too – that is a ridiculous experience. And, guys, we also want to do that. We were doing it at the beginning, you know, when we first did this podcast, and we're going to tie it in. I want you all to still, again, you know, anyone who's listening, send in pictures of y'all at, at games. Give us, you know, favorite memories that y'all have at games. We'll put it up on our on our, uh, on our our Instagram page or on the Panthers Nation page because that's something we, we love to see from y'all. You know, we're all Panthers fans. We've all, you know, Shanti's finally – Got to a game. Tyler, I think, is still waiting for his first one. I can't remember no, if he's... No, we made it back, back in 2013. Oh, back in yeah. 2013, the golden yeah. age of the Carolina Panthers. Hey, I'll do that, man. Look, my, my first game was 04, man. My first game was... I'm, I'm I got you beat. My first game was 1999. <laughs> I wasn't even cognizant, but my dad took me in a stroller to a Titans-Panthers game. I love it. I love it. I we love got... It. Blown out in that game. We got just... The Titans kicked our asses, and he will hold... He forever will hold that against me. Yeah, yeah, but I'm gonna tell you one last thing before we go. Saquon Barkley is a specimen in person. Bro, his his calves you. were probably bigger than your child at the time. So, uh, yeah, so Julian walks up to him, he goes, Oh my god, dad, his legs. I was like, Yeah, his legs are bigger than me. Dude is dude is a specimen, but that's another story for another day. But like I said, y'all, so sending sending pictures of y'all games, your favorite Panthers memory. We'll sure. we'll highlight a few of them. That's something we always like doing. And, you know, especially as we're kind of waiting for, for stuff to drop, as we're waiting yeah. for things to happen, you know, we're in that dead time. We've got just a few more months. It's all, it's going to be over before we know it. And we're going to be right back to football. But of course, until then, we got to keep waiting and keep pounding.